Welcome back to another episode of A Positive Insights. My name is Darren Cottrell. I'm joined by Brendan Herlihy. And we have the pleasure of chatting to Greg Savage. If you're not aware of Greg, you're probably not in the recruitment industry. He's a recruitment industry expert. And today we focused on starting a recruitment business. A lot of people are thinking about doing this. In this episode, one of the key things I really took from it was that first hire. So you set up a business and then who are you going to hire next? There's a really good area to focus on. What did you enjoy, Brendan? Yes, thank you, Darren. It was an enjoyable podcast. Um, yeah, the first hire was definitely interesting. I also uh, thought the complementation to that would be the tech stack and finding the right suppliers for your business to help you achieve your goals, whether that is becoming a lifestyle business or taking over the world. So a lot of people will basically get a lot of information to help them on their journey from this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, guys, I think you're going to get a lot out of this. As I mentioned, every time we are trying to grow the podcast. So please like, please share, please subscribe to the channel. I hope you enjoy this one. Thanks. Welcome back to another episode of A Positive Insights. My name is Darren Cottrell from A Positive, and this is Brendan Hurley, also from A Positive. And we have the pleasure of being joined by Greg Savage. Obviously, thanks so much, Greg, for joining us. You've Thank been you. a busy boy recently. Yeah. Thank you. I, I was overseas, but now. I've rushed back to be at this uh, this podcast. I think it's important I'm here. We appreciate you returning <laughs> from Europe, just for us. <laughs> exactly. So how was the trip? It was good. A lot of good things happened. South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. That was... Uh, you said good things? That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, four times, actually. That's how much goodness. And also, I did my speaking tour of my book around the UK, which was a lot of fun. A lot of people turned up, and uh, it, thankfully, it was well-received. So today we're here to talk about startups. We see heaps of startups. We're speaking to them obviously day in, day out. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear the key considerations that people should think about when starting up. Well, my first thought is before you start up, ask yourself why you're doing it. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you mentioned there's a lot of startups. Well, uh, I bet that's true and I'm aware of that. Uh, it would be interesting and depressing in three years' time to see how many of those still exist yeah. and how many of them have moved beyond just one person sitting in a lonely room on their own. So um, that's not a bad thing if that's how you want to work. Yeah. But the first consideration, uh, I, and I've advised so many people, having done startups myself and advised on many and seen many, and also counseled a lot of people who, who wish they hadn't done it. Yeah. You've got to ask yourself, what's, what's my goal? And your goal might be, I just want independence. I want to work my own hours. I know I can build a lot. I'm happy to sit at my kitchen table and I'll make a great living. And then go and do that. That's wonderful. But a lot of people start with hazy aspirations about building a business, but they have no plan, no strategy, and zero skills to do that. And that often ends up in disappointment and often money lost as well. Yeah, okay. So it's not always important to scale. So it's not always important to grow. Look, the, the reality is that 80% of recruitment companies in the world have less than 10 staff. And um, the reason for that is twofold. A lot of people are happy to be on their own or just with two or three like-minded people, and they make a great living, but they don't build an asset. Many people do have aspirations and plans to grow, but they have no idea how to do that. They're good recruiters. That's why they were brave enough to go out on their own. But that doesn't make you a business builder, a manager, or a leader. You can learn. If you've got advice and you've got a plan. But by definition, you actually move away from your core competency because you move from being a recruiter to a business leader. And, and most can't do that without help and even with help a lot can't do it because it's very 
difficult thing to do without a plan and without the ability to implement. So would you say, like, if you're setting up and your goal is not to have a lifestyle business, would it be wise to maybe sort of reach out to a mentor or someone that can help you put in a plan like that? Uh, yeah, look, uh, I, think, I think the main point is, is a plan and... Uh, a v people talk about a vision, and a vision's good. And a vision might be, I'm gonna, and I hear this all the time, I'm going to have a 100-person recruitment company specializing in this. And, and that's great. We should all have our dreams. I still believe I can play international rugby. So we, we, <laughs> we, we all have our dreams. I think once you've got that, it's like, what am I going to be 12 months out? Yeah. Well, I'm going to be 12 months out. And that might be I will have hired my first person or, or more ambitious, potentially. And then you work back almost like a backwards plan to work out what you have to do to get there. Um, I think the other thing that, that uh, I mean, I know your question was about mentor, and I'll address that in a moment. But the main point I'm focusing on is getting a plan. And outside help will be excellent, particularly, particularly from somebody who's done it in the recruitment industry. A generic business advisor can be useful, but they will not know the nuance of what it takes. Because you know all businesses are, are unique. Like I, I spend my whole life advising on, on on building recruitment companies. I would hesitate to advise someone how to grow their air conditioning company. You know, I just I might have some generic help, but I don't know the nuance. So I think you've got to work out what markets you're going to be in, um, what segments you're going to focus on, uh, what your role is going to be, and how that's going to change as you hire your first, second, and third people. Your pricing positioning in the marketplace. Your marketing, there's many things. I'm sure we're going to get to them, but we need a plan. Yeah. All right. So you're talking about, okay, so working back from your first hire. Yeah. Is there any particular sort of, you know, KPIs you can put into the plan that's not money related that can help you achieve to get to that first hire? Yeah. So the first thing is, um, you said not money related, but, but we've got to start there because yeah. you need the cash to finance the um, hiring of a second person. Yeah. And, and, and many times when people start, and a lot of the people that you've referred to who are starting, they won't have a lot of cash to back themselves. What they'll be saying is, gee, I'm billing 500000 a year working for uh, Greg's recruitment. I'm sure I can do 300 a year on my own, and I've got no overhead, so most of it's mine. And that's fine, and that's probably true. But as soon as you hire somebody, are you paying eighty grand plus just to have them walk in the door? So you need to um, have either a financial reserve or the cash flow to fund the hire. But the other things you'll look at is business momentum, job orders, um, clients won. So, for example, if you're working on your own and you have got a vision to grow, you might actually have five or six clients to give you regular business. Well, you have to say to yourself, I'm going to manage that. But I'm also going to do business development to win new clients. So when I bring somebody on, I can feed them. Mm -hmm. uh, now, a lot of people go, well, I don't, I don't want to hire someone and then feed them. You've got to be much more pragmatic than that. You do want to feed them because it's leverage. You're doing your billings and you're helping them do their billings. They're getting their salary, but you're getting the, the, the excess. Um, so numbers of jobs, numbers of clients, ability to ac access candidates. What I'm really saying is you need to look at the, um, uh, the building blocks that's going to allow a second hire to succeed. Because what happens often, I see with the, 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 um, the founder, for want of a better word, making his or her first hire, is that that person doesn't work out. Now, that's costly for any business, but when it's just a one-person business, it can be devastating. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like That first hire, is there a specific role that you'd recommend bringing in as that first hire? Is it a resource? Is it a biller? 
Is it <laughs> good, it's, a, it's a good question, but the answer may not be what you expect. It needs to be like a jigsaw puzzle. And what I mean by that is it needs to complement what you're good at. So say, uh, say you started a recruitment business tomorrow and, and you're good at transacting, but what you're really good at is winning clients. And you love that. I was, I was that guy. Yeah. I was good with clients. I used to go to client meetings and I used to have a good success rate. But you know, after about five years, if I'd interviewed another candidate, I would have jumped off the Harbour Bridge. Now, so I, in, if that was me, I, I would have been smart to hire a person who was great on the resourcing and the candidate work because that's a fit. And then one on one's going to make three. Right? And that's what you're trying to do when you make a hire. You're not trying to make one-on-one make two because you're not actually going forward. You want one-on-one to make three. So I'm transacting, I'm billing, but I'm also winning excess work. Hire a person that fits that. On the other hand, and this is, I might be a very good systems process, transacting person, great client relationships, but I'm not brilliant at opening doors. Then you're going to hire somebody with that mindset and skill capability. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So you obviously bring someone in that complements you. And most people don't do that. Um, they they hire knee jerk somebody that popped up in their LinkedIn feed or at the pub, and, uh, or, or, or gave them or gave them a call, and they go right. This is my growth. But just, you know, you need you need to think strategically. You need to be opportunistic. And if you meet a great recruiter in the pub and that person's right, yeah, hire them. But don't just hire them because they're the person in front of you at that time. Think about how, does, how do I get my three out of one-on-one? And um, so I think you need to be careful about that. Also, there are a lot of restraints. Like you might see a great person you'd like to hire, but they want a base salary of 150 and you simply can't afford it. So you, sometimes you've got to work within your, your resource capability. Yeah. One thing I come across with some startups is when they make their first hire, is a hired experienced recruiter that doesn't complement their industry mm-hmm. and then uh, ends up basically not working out because they can't push that person forward. Well, what often happens, it's a good point, what often happens is I start, and it says me, I start a recruitment business in accounting because that's my sweet spot. It's going nicely. Yeah. And then, and then um, it, I, I meet you and you're in engineering recruitment. I'm not really into engineering recruitment, but you're a great recruiter and I'm going to grow my business. I'll hire you. And you do well, let's say, but after a year you leave. Well, I'm no longer in engineering recruitment. I'm, that's a complete waste of time. It'd be much smarter to hire a person not as good as you, but who's good enough to ser- service the accounting market. And I grow. I'm not saying don't diversify, but do it strategically, not not um, sporadic or um, haphazardly. It's a better word, uh, because it almost always backfires. So you need to plan about what you're going to do. Um, you know, I've seen it happen before where they might hire four people. You're doing marketing, you're doing engineering, I'm doing IT, and, he, and uh, Russ, who's not in the video because just not good looking enough, <laughs> he, he's doing healthcare. So we're all, we're all doing well, but there is no synergy. So as soon as one leaves, we're no longer in that market. Yeah. It'd be much better if all four of us were in accounting. Yeah. Then if one leaves, it's a pain in the butt, but we don't lose that much because we still have got the clients and the candidates. Yeah, and the candidates are turning over, yeah. being updated as opposed to a dead bed of roses. Yeah. Engineering candidates, you might think. Exactly. You're then out of it. Um, so uh, actually, big companies make that mistake. Yeah. You know, like we're in accounting recruitment and business support, but I've just met this marketing recruiter and she's great. Hire them and she does well. But a year later when she leaves, we're no longer in marketing recruitment. And then they have to go to the website and take it off because we don't do it anymore. Well, it's all wasted. There's no synergy. There's no plan. And that's a big problem for startups. So one of my clients today, I had this conversation with, they're a tech recruiter. They got the opportunity to move into medical off the back of one recruiter. 
because they're a big villa, and that's something you wouldn't recommend. Oh, most definitely not. Um, let me let me let me put some caveats and explanation around that. I had a similar situation in COVID. One of my clients who was in accounting mm. said, "Greg, we're going to get into healthcare," and I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Greg, are you stupid? Healthcare is booming." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I am stupid, but are you stupid because you know that in healthcare?" There's 50 great healthcare recruitment companies that have been doing it for 25 years. What are you going to bring? Have you got any clients? No. Have you got any candidates? No. Have you got any expertise? No. Have you got any insights? No. You're going to waste money. Now, on the other hand, if I'm an accounting recruiter and I have got a careful and, and research strategy to get into another discipline, doing that in a strategic way, which wouldn't be with one recruiter, it would be finding a leader and one other and really investing to get traction, or even buying another business, those can be strategically smart things. But just adding a recruiter in a completely different, different discipline because they are available is almost always a recipe for disaster. So, so going back to the startup, do you think it's a benefit to being a generalist or be more strategic and being more niche yeah. and being a specialist? So I have to, I have to admit my, my mantra for 40 years, which is I think you should be a mile deep and an inch wide. Yeah. It's better. Now, that doesn't mean to say you can't have a company that focuses on 12 different disciplines. Mm. You can. I mean, I just come from people to people, which is up the road. And I was one of the founders. I knew I'd done a day's work in it. But th that's one of the reasons people say it's been successful. But they started an accounting recruitment. They've now got 12 disciplines, but they've got 12 streams of specialists. Yeah. You don't have a person doing, you know, uh, accounting and legal. You know, it might, it might be something that in rare circumstances you could do at the start, but you've got to very quickly move to specialization. Um, you've got to be careful with your specialist strategy because you don't want to be a, start doing a startup in a specialization that is perhaps a profession or a sector that's dying or waning. You've got to be careful about that. Um, but if you're confident that that's not the case, you start specialist and then you strategically would expand from there. I just want to wind it back a bit where we talk about first hires and uh, getting someone that compliments you. Uh, would it be wise if you're a perm recruiter to hire a contract recruiter or would you want someone to um, compliment you on dual desk? So the answer to that question would be to step back a bit and say, uh, go back to my first question, which is why are you doing this? Why are you even startup? And if, if, you, if you are um, doing a startup for you and maybe two other people to sit on your kitchen tables and make as much money as you can, you may not need to go into temp. You, 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 you could be very profitable in permanent. You would have to accept that in downtimes, recessions, you're going to take a massive hit. But you would maybe, you would maybe concede that because you don't want to get into the whole infrastructure required to run a temporary business. Putting that to one side, if you're going to build a business that you think you're going to sell one day, or even not sell, but where you want to maybe at some point have a team of recruiters where you can step back and grow olives in the Hunter Valley two days a week or whatever your plan is. Growing a temporary business is an outstanding idea. People often ask me, when's a good time to start a temporary business? And the answer to that is the good time to start a temporary business was 10 years ago and the second best time is today because it's always part of a sustainable re recruitment business, a highly profitable one and one that's resistant against downturn. But if you're a permanent recruiter and that's your expertise, You've got to be um, cautious and strategic about hiring a temp recruiter because with a perm recruiter, you could just hire the person, sit them on the desk, and away they go. With a temp, you've got, and, and you guys know this in your business, you've got funding issues. 
you've got compliance issues, you need much better technology, you need ability to have a payroll, uh, you, there's risk, a much greater risk of um, litigation. So while it's an extra ex exceptional business plan to do it, um, you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open and with a bigger plan. So if it was just, if you're only going to go to two people, I'd probably say, well, maybe just go to two permanent people, but be prepared for a lower income when the market turns. So just on the contract compliance funding, that's all the issues that we solve. So any of those companies that come to, we help them with that. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Was, that it was really <laughs> subtly done, um, but the, but you you you're absolutely right. And I I do say to people in not only startups but bigger businesses, you know, it's much smarter to get top quality advice and support in those areas than try and do something you're not good at yourself. So that, yeah, that might might bring actually a question that we haven't discussed is about outsourcing parts of your company to help you grow. Mm. Do you have any experience of? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I think uh, that can range from um, simple or obvious things to outsourcing this, the, the preparation of your accounts to an accountant, uh, to much more complex and um, uh, controversial things like outsourcing part of the delivery process of recruitment to offshore, for example. Or in, in now with uh, post-COVID, it may not be offshore, but it might be someone in some other part of Australia um, and uh, on a lower cost base, all sorts of things that you can do. So should, certainly, obviously, obvious things are accounting, tech, um, payroll, uh, marketing, and candidate sourcing. I've seen work very well, particularly in markets where it's high volume and call center people, um, it didn't take off like people predicted, but in, in Australia, there's still recruitment companies using outsourcing in the Philippines or India, or other places. Uh, I've got a client who's got a, a whole marketing and PR group in the Philippines. To her credit, she treats them as part of her team and she flies them in for the annual conference. And, um, uh, but it's all done remotely. And of course, there's a, quite a big arbitrage on the salaries. So it sounds like when you're going to outsource, find the right expertise, make sure it's cost effective, and you've got to have complete trust in that brand to make sure your business... You, you do. You, you've got to remember that you, can't, you can never say to a client, look, that went badly because we outsource it. <laughs> That's not a, a discussion point. So you've got to be absolutely sure that it's not a core responsibility that you should keep in-house. Um, it's not something... you know. I say this about technology, technology a lot, but I'll say it about outsourcing. Um, any decision you make, you've got to understand the impact it has on the stakeholders in your business. And those stakeholders are clients, candidates, and your own staff. So a lot of people, uh, just touching on technology, not so much out, a lot of people say, here's a great piece of tech. It's going to save us a lot of money, make us more efficient. Let's do it. It's a no-brainer. And I say, what's the impact on candidates? Well, they may not love it, but it's going to save us a lot of money. That's a terrible decision. You know, all of us have had experience of trying to speak to our bank or insurance company or Qantas. And, um, and uh, um, you know, they've got all the tech in the world. But it's, it's very unsatisfactory customer experience. And th that is actually an interesting, we're getting off topic, but it's a very interesting side effect of AI and automation is that I think, I think our industry is going to go through a period where AI makes things much worse before it makes it any better. I mean, yeah. Oh, sorry. Greg. Yeah. Well, well, I just want to, I just want to explain <laughs> that. Like, 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 for example, you know that people people talk about AI about how much it's going to help recruiters. Do you understand how much help it's going to give to job seekers? 
They, they, can, they can prepare their resumes, search out jobs and apply for those jobs while they're asleep. And what that means is that recruiters are going to get flooded with inappropriate candidates. And it's going to make recruiting much harder. People don't talk about this much because, they, because you know, advocates of AI are all about how sexy it is. And it's going to be incredible, but it's going to be problematic. Would you not use AI then to review all those? Yeah, but in the end, who's, you know, AI is, is actually... The part about AI that's a bit of a worry is the I. It's not that smart. I think, I think with like the technology piece, what's your experience of like startups that don't invest in, in tech at the start and then startups that do? Well, um, if you don't invest in the right tech at the beginning, particularly now, uh, as opposed to, say, 15 years ago, where you could, you could probably... Um, fumble your way through for a while without the tech is there's a few things first of all you won't grow as fast secondly you will disappoint customers um, thirdly you will fail to attract good recruiters and fourthly it's impossible to scale on um, on on a analog phone book and card system yeah I'm joking but you can't you need the t you need the tech to scale um, plus increasingly we need insights um, and uh, so, I mean, I think the difficulty, though, is and I think very few people would argue no tech is better than, um, than tech, but it's which tech? And it's not only that. I mean, let's take the simple thing like an ATS, and we are filming this in the offices of JobAdder, so there's a plug for one of my other friends, um, is that having the tech is completely unrelated to whether your staff use the tech. So having the best ATS in the world is useless unless... You train and require and have accountability for people to use it appropriately so that the search and the other interactions can work. So, I mean, that is a big flaw, I'm sure, in a lot of companies. But in recruitment, I mean, I won't put a figure on it, except I will. I reckon it's about, you know, people use about 20% of the capability of their tech. Oh, easy. Mm, if that. That's why there's so many ATS systems out there, because people just find whatever matches to that part of their brain and off they go. Yeah, and there's pr plenty of people who... who, who uh, that I've had conversations with who've said, I'm going to leave this ATS and get a new one because it can't do this. And I'm like, I think it can. And when they oh, we didn't know that. It's like me and my car. I reckon I use about 3% of the things it can do. I, you know, I know how to steer and put the, put the music on. Is that an S-Class, is it? And say it's S-Class. <laughs> Mercedes. No, no. I, 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 like, if you think I'm a Mercedes guy, we are not simpatico. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, my wife wanted a car that would park itself and she never uses it. No, that's right. Exactly. Because you know, she doesn't give the trust to it. Yeah. It's scary, right? Anyway. So talking about tech, then, what are the, like, the fundamentals pieces of tech that recruiters should invest in at the start? Oh, I'm not a tech expert but I mean we need we need a great ATS yeah of course um, I think we need to um, look at a system that integrates with candidate engagement mm -hmm. and and that in itself is a whole um, you know going going down a, ra a rabbit warren because we need the tech but we also need the human touch so it needs both but um, I've got plenty of clients who are using the tech really intelligently with their with their candidates, so for example, in the temp candidate area, they, 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 a recruiter can, can search for candidates that got certain skills and then send them a text saying, sorry to bother you, if this is wrong, don't reply, but if you're interested in a six-month job, blah, blah, blah. And then when the person calls or texts back, they can have a conversation. So it's not that advanced, but it's very, you know, your tech needs to make your, your, tech needs to make your job of the recruiters um, easier to talk to people. That's the irony. Um, that's where 
AI and everything's going to have its real impact. It's going to take away the drudgery, but it's going to free recruiters up to do the influencing skills. Problem is a lot of recruiters don't have those skills. So um, I think that's the sort of, I'd also have tech that integrates with marketing. So um, we can, for example, uh, if we've got a candidate that came second on a list, we can use the tech to find out which of our other clients have hired people like that and then reverse market candidates in. Um, certainly you need very sophisticated tech around your um, temporary business. Um, payroll, I mean, that's not sophisticated, but uh, I mean, look, there are recruitment companies that, that sort of, I mean, they're not actually faxing timesheets in, but they're still very manual. You guys would have seen that. Oh, yeah. um, and that's, that's just, just crazy in this environment. So all that sort of, that's in the category of basic. Sec next tier up would be using uh, other quite, old-fashioned almost new tech like chatbots. Um, people say chat, candidates don't want chatbots. A, a chatbot that makes it easy for a candidate to find out what they want is good as long as they can speak to someone when they want to. Yeah. Often a candidate wants to know, is this job in Brisbane? Is it 100 grand? And do I have to work on Fridays? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I want to talk to someone. Or no. Okay, I'll do something else. That's good. Saves a lot of time for everybody. So, but a problem is, you know, in, 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 in most chatbots or AI assistants, they are worse than useless. They just don't help you. And, that and so that's the, that's the question you ask yourself. Does this piece of tech m make it a better experience for our customers? If it doesn't, don't implement it. Yeah, that's good advice. It's very good advice, actually. <laughs> Most people don't take it, though. So we're coming to the end of the year now, 2023. So um, just to finish this off, like, what would be some of the considerations recruiters should be thinking about to kick off 2024? Well, one of the things I, I get concerned about when we go through a situation like we've had, which was a boom post-COVID, none of us were really expecting it, but it was a boom for the industry for a couple of years, I suppose, and now it's softened a bit, is what I call the seesaw effect where, you know, owners of recruitment companies were frantic to hire recruiters uh, for a couple of years. Now they're laying them off. And... You will see many times, uh, I've seen this many times, I'm seeing it happen now, a company that was six people and took two or three years to grow to 20 will cut costs so dramatically that they'll go back to six and then it'll take them five years to get back to 20, if ever. So we're looking at 24. None of us can predict the future, I suppose, but it's likely to be potentially challenging in the first half of the year. You've got to cut your costs and manage your costs according to your income, but don't Overdo it. An example of that would be, why would you cut all your marketing? Why would you cut all your training? Actually, now's the time we should be training people more than ever because a lot of people don't have the skills to cope in this market. So those are things that, yeah, you make sure you're getting value, but don't just discard huge parts of, of the infrastructure that have made you successful. And the big one is people. Of course, people are our biggest cost. It's sort of 60, 70% of every dollar we spend is on staff. So they have to be productive. And if you've got too many people for the work, you're going to have to rationalize that. But don't overdo it. If you've got a, a person who's showing great promise and who's doing good work and getting better, and, and even if they only just cover their costs, it's much smarter to keep them on because when it takes off, you're going to have those people. Instead of what normally happens is you let them all go. And in a year from now, we'll hear recruitment owners squealing about the lack of recruiters. Well, it's your fault. You fired them all. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much, Greg. That was awesome advice. We really appreciate your time today. 
total pleasure. Yeah, thank yeah. you. No, that's thank awesome. You. So anyone that listened today, please subscribe, um, share on LinkedIn, share with your friends. We, we are trying to grow the podcast, so we, we would appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you.